A small town sits beside a stream, cherishing clean water and air, generous soil, as a hatchling might cherish its pre-made nest, and long-angled branches of its tree pointing west, where the well-wishing sun sets its ancient head to rest. The village, what a place, likewise nightly sings itself to sleep, and dreams a solar dream, and wakes as one with birdsong sun, and basks in nature's beams. All our minds are here, sing the people, and all our hearts here too, kept pure as mountain water, for frescoed sons, fountain daughters, in whose labors, beauty, passions, ideas, and diligence we believe. So relieved in blue and white, a tender scene to spark the soul alight, in greenest green, the solar scene. Aww. Oh, you liked it? I did really like it. Thank you. I don't think I realize how fortunate I am to have you as a oh, co-host. <laughs> Like I don't need my my ego puffed up anymore when it comes to this poetry because every every episode you like you amp up your praise. I'm sorry. <laughs> I won't praise you next week. I'll say, what was that? Yeah, that would be but nice. Thank you all for tuning in to another week of Solacene, as Aaron used in a rhyme for perhaps the first time in history. No, I did it like a few episodes ago, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was really noteworthy this week. This is the 10th week in our storytelling series, which will be wrapping up not too long. So I hope you keep tuning in. I've enjoyed it so far. But in addition to the podcast, if you're listening in your podcasting app, we also have the videos online on the YouTube. So if you want to see us and see us smiling at one another, showing you the organism of the week, you can actually watch the full-length videos on YouTube. We also have the zine that we have made for the previous two semesters, and there'll be one in the future. But if you want to buy the zine, it's on our website, which is linked below. And finally, every week on Friday, we release what we call field notes. So you can sign up via the Google form down below if you want to receive those in your email. This week, we did a tier list of <laughs> aesthetics. Yeah. And so you can find out what the Solacene aesthetic is. Hint, it was something to do with clay. <laughs> <laughs> and what was very unsolicited, hint, it has something to do with postmodernism. Yeah. So it's really fun. I like writing them, and I hope you enjoy reading them for those of you who do subscribe. That was a fun tale. It's actually kind of relevant to today's episode, which yeah. is all about romance in many senses of the word. We have two questions for today. One is, well, two topics for today, should I say. <laughs> One is about romance in the solo scene in terms of love stories. And the other is about romance in terms of idyllic fiction, idyllic places. And that's really what I was trying to capture in the opening poem. Mm -hmm. Particularly, there's a line where it's like, there's, obviously it's painting a, a rather like pastoral, rural, uh, utopian image of a town beside a stream and everything. Um, but particularly when the people say like, all our minds are here and all our hearts here too. I was thinking about like the, the cohesion that's, we see in the solo scene in terms of everyone's present all the time. Like mm. that's really, you can talk about like claymation or Renaissance paintings or postmodernism or different architectural styles or what people are wearing, but really it's about the presentness of the people there. Like that's a, mm -hmm. a significant part of it. I mean, it's not all of it because aesthetics do matter and things like technology and sustainability and economics and all these like more boring things are like, they matter a lot, but also, our embodiment matters the yeah. most. It's just like sometimes you're walking around places and it's like, oh, no one's here. No one cares. Yeah. 
but it's like, you know. Mm. Yeah, I was trying to explain to you, not trying to explain to you, you got it, but I was talking to you this morning about mindfully eating. And I was like, I feel like a lot of people in certain places, they eat, but it's like, are they really eating? And they're really <laughs> tasting the tastes. Are they really thinking about where this came from, the people who made it, the what it's doing to your body? Yeah, that's so me. I never mindfully eat. Yeah. But also just like this is a little bit aside for the episode, but um, well, maybe it is relevant to the episode about <laughs> romantic places because last night, what did you buy at a gas station? Aaron, you don't need to make this public. Oh, we should mention it. I bought a slush. Right. Because it had been a very long time since I had had a slush. Yeah. And I always see Is that what you call it? Just a slush? Slush or a slushy? On, um, because we're in Montreal on the cup, it said... Slush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I missed them because when I was a kid, we used to always go get them. Yeah. But then I went and got it and I it made me sick. But anyway, there were two, actually... Why are we talking about Well, slush? there was one thing that I observed, <laughs> but I didn't tell you about it, which is that the woman who was working in the gas station, it was kind of late at night, right? Mm-hmm. And she was just not paying attention at all. I think mm-hmm. she was just on her phone or whatever. And you're not going to hear me like um, complaining about retail workers not paying too much attention because I have been in her position many mm-hmm. a time. But I was just thinking like, one way that you know how people say oh uh, in a nice city or a nice society it's when the wealthy take the bus mm-hmm. it's not like when the poor like drive cars it's like when the wealthy drive the bus like another way you could say it is like or another thing you could say is a really so seen city or so seen place is when everyone working at won't be gas stations but like convenience stores and small mm-hmm. restaurants and things are really caring about it mm-hmm. because I don't remember the name of the gas station, but like she has no connection to the to the company, to the yeah. founder, to her manager, to the owners, nothing like that because mm-hmm. it's too big. There's too much distance. Yeah. But in the solo scene, it's like what makes it the solo scene is one, everyone's present, like I said, but also everyone everyone cares. Yeah, and it's like you could be working because I'm sure even in the solo scene, there'll be certain points in your life where maybe you're working a job where it's like, Perhaps not, like it's a step along the path. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, like you're sweeping a store. Yeah, but, but you still know the owner, exactly. Yeah, you know the owner, so if someone steals something, mm-hmm. what happens in service, you know, but like if something happens, <laughs> you care about it. Whereas, like, I feel like the sign of a decaying economy or a decaying, decaying society is when the gas station worker or the retail worker is like, yeah, doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. It's like these things, they don't, they shouldn't matter, but like they add up and they, they do matter a lot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, getting into romance. Um, yeah which I think will be the dominant Soacene genre. Yes, that makes sense. Which is basically, because I know romance has a lot of different meanings, even in the realm of classification of genres and things like this, because right now I'm reading very topical King Arthur, mm-hmm. or like the, the death of King Arthur, which is a medieval romance. That's mm-hmm. the name of the genre, but that's not really what we're talking about today. That, like that style of romance basically is like an epic, but with more focus on the... The adventure like that's all about adventure mm-hmm. Adve- uh, epics i think focus more on character but like we're talking about romance as in wouldn't it be nice like mm-hmm. a, a literal translation of the word not yeah. the love story word though just like i'm a romantic I'm not talking yeah. about like romantic as in with women i just mean i'm a romantic yes you, you want to you romanticize life. life yeah you you have to start romanticizing your life you have to start <laughs> that's what i was thinking I was like, this is one trend that I like hope will translate into the solo scene well, but not in such a cheesy way. Hmm. Of like, you just have to really stop and smell the roses. Yeah. But it's like, girl, they're along the side of the street. 
and there's cars honking and gas. We have to get rid of the cars first, and then we can stop and smell the roses. That's my current gripe. Um, when it comes to romance and sustainability, because this is one of things that when I put the two together, my brain was like, lights were going off of what I want to do with my life. So one of my very first sustainability lectures in university, it was all about Arcadia and the idea of paradise and how that has been used through all of human history to show us an image of Eden or like what could be, but it's never been. And I was like, oh, because in my mind, things at one point in history were perfect. There was basically a Garden of Eden, for lack of a better analogy. But it's like when you think about it, even in the Christian tradition, it's like the Garden of Eden existed for hours or like days. Like it never actually yeah. was. So in these classes, it made you think we don't actually have a like a functioning example of from history of what a romantic society would look like a truly beautiful truly cohesive everyone's well-being mm. like it's never actually existed and this made me realize oh we can't just always look backwards when trying to build a romantic future like a beautiful and a sustainable and tactile, sustainable and tactile future we need to incorporate new ideas new technologies and so on yeah um that was just my first thought on this question of like the story of romance it's like it's always something we are looking back on mm, i find you never course. like romanticizing the automated street cleaning industry or yeah. like you never thinking about those things or automated like energy production in solar panels is but it's like we need to actually it's going to be a blend it's mm. not going to just be some everyone living by the river because that wouldn't be actually sustainable yeah, I have two things on that. One is about like the, the backwards facing, almost inherent nature of pastoral imagery, which is mm -hmm. quite synonymous with idyllic or romanticized imagery. And that, that's like, actually that connection is what I wanted to talk about on the episode a little bit, because um, it's easy to paint paintings of when things were naturey and there were no cars and everything and say, didn't it look beautiful? And mm -hmm. I think it probably did look a lot more beautiful than a lot of the cities that we grow up in, even if you know, 50% of young children were dying of diphtheria or whatever that is. I don't mm -hmm. know what that is, but was, you know what I mean? It's like things might have actually looked really nice, mm -hmm. but you talked about a deeper meaning to romance other than just how things look mm -hmm. and sound. There's a romance for meaning, for um, the sustainability of it, for adventure and progress and things like this. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that pastoral imagery... I mean, it's nice, but it, it can almost be written off to an extent because it's like, of course, nature looks nice. Mm -hmm. What I find much more impressive is when people manage to create imagery, ideas of civilizations that still retain that sense of romance. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I want to bring up was solarpunk, mm -hmm. which is an aesthetic, online aesthetic that we've talked about a lot on the podcast before. It's basically about, it's urban but it's about cities of the future, which will be very green, but also incorporating new technologies and mm -hmm. especially grassroots technologies. There's a real kind of 
um, egalitarian sense to it, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, it has a lot of economic depth, which isn't really the focus of this podcast, but aesthetically anyway, it's it's quite solo scene, mm -hmm. like solo punk, solo scene. It's very similar. Mm -hmm. And I thought a question for next week could be that we both come up with a prompt or uh, a story outline for a movie or book in the solo punk aesthetic or tradition. Yeah. Because one thing we've talked about before is that while the imagery for this aesthetic is very rich and detailed and um, even evolving, mm -hmm. there's almost no mainstream stories. And narrative is really what um, connects and touches people, as we've talked about a lot in this semester. Yeah. Um, I just this week, and it was in the newsletter, happened upon this person in the UK who is making a serial solar punk detective series. Mm. And it's really great. Highly recommend reading it. But they also have a newsletter and they published this week a, is it solar punk or is it, what did they call it? Like disaster, like romanticizing, like romanticizing disaster. Mm. And that was something that I never thought about when it comes to solar punk or like images of like a green future. And I'd never thought of romanticizing in like that sense of the word. But sometimes when you're looking at solar punk stories or solar punk visuals, because it's mainly a visual movement, like art movement, it's like sometimes it is just like a disaster that's been romanticized. It's like, oh, but all the trees will take over, almost oh, like yeah, yeah. in some of the Studio Ghibli movies. There's, where a, there's a post-apocalyptic feel to it. Yeah. That's another thing I wanted to mention, because along with most pastoral, romantic, idyllic imagery being backwards-facing, it's inherently, there's a conservatism to, uh, to it. That mm -hmm. I was talking to you a while back about just story structure in general and how so many idyllic settings in films, books, paintings, whatever, um, like Hogwarts is a prime example, people find it really nice and basically the author will, will describe this lovely place, you fall in love with it, and then they'll show the big bad threat that's trying to change it. And you're like, no, I don't want Voldemort to change it or whatever it may mm -hmm. be. And so the heroes are fighting to conserve the status quo, mm -hmm. which is whatever. I don't think it's really like a political conservatism, but it is just a, a running theme to note between a lot of idyllic mm -hmm. stories. But what's interesting about solo punk is that it's the opposite. It's about the heroes trying to change the world to be mm -hmm. more like this because of what happens when you look outside the window, what you see. <laughs> um, so yeah. that's, that's something about solo punk that if I, like there's a real activism uh and agency to it that I, mm -hmm. I really find even that itself is romantic because mm -hmm. there's a sense that we can make the world like this yeah whereas with all the like pastoral imagery of old it's it's almost deliberately out of reach mm -hmm. we can't make the world like that again like those times are gone which obviously is not really a nice thing to like it's nice when you hang it up on a wall but the mm -hmm. the accessibility of solar punk and i think romanticism in the solar scene will be really cool, cool yeah thing. it gives you more agency than the traditional pastoral imagery because it's like you can actually see yourself in it and i find there's again it's hard to strike a balance when i am telling people about solo scene like what the like why we're doing this and i feel like the core of it is to empower people and make them feel like they can actually contribute to the solo scene in their daily lives and like that it actually can come to be because when we were in university and originally started a podcast, it was like, I personally felt all of these courses were very good and I felt like I was really learning a lot. But if I tried to tell my parents about it or tried to tell anyone who wasn't in that 
bubble, they were like, I don't care. Mm. Like they would literally say, I don't care. I can't like, I can't live that lifestyle. I can't afford it, what have you. And it's like, that's when I realized it was more than just a economic issue or just a environmental issue that it's a, we need to change how we envision the future. Yeah. Because right now the only future you can envision is death well, and destruction. That or <laughs> everything will be solved by the the means of the the invisible hand of the market, or everything will be fixed because there'll be a disaster and everyone will have to come together. But it's like we can envision a future that is attainable through normal progress instead of having to have some giant like disaster or yeah. some giant paradigm shift, which I doubt will happen. Yeah, and overnight. also and also on that note, it's like as I think I said on the podcast before and certainly on the field notes, there's a sense of naivety mm-hmm. with it. It's like, well, yeah, maybe it's possible, but it's not likely. I mean, look at the gas companies and look at the governments mm-hmm. and look at the corporations and the stuff. And we um, we both got degrees in it. Like we both studied that stuff and we're, we're quite familiar with Exxon and, and all that. And mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not the most likely, but wouldn't it be nice? It's kind of what we're mm-hmm. saying. Like that's what the solo scene is like. Wouldn't it be nice? That's yeah. the genre. Um, <laughs> the, the dream is for the people who are like stuck in that every day, who are stuck fighting the Exxon or the Shell, and they're like, "Yeah, this is like almost an escape for them to the remind them that it's yeah, that it's actually something nice to look forward to." The, the booster shot. Yeah. Also, I was uh, reading Conan the Barbarian, um, and the introduction to that book, they were kind of describing the age that the creator, Robert E. Howard, the author, had um, drawn up really, like this era pre, pre-historical. And it was talking about this, that's the core of adventure fantasy. It can be way in the past or way in the future or set in space or whatever. And it's like, these things aren't likely. They're not impossible. Like, there could have been whole civilizations before recorded history, but it's very unlikely. But wouldn't it have been cool? Like, that's why I think, it's like, wouldn't it be nice though? And so why not just kind of suspend your disbelief for a second and listen to Solacene at Solacene on Instagram. This is all just like such a plug for Solacene. <laughs> well, this, this topic is inherent to, to what this yeah. podcast is. Like we are basically trying to be romantic fiction. Like mm-hmm. that's what this is trying to do every week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also on that note, because I've skirted around it many times and called it romance or fiction or pastoral or idyllic, we should come up with a genre name for what I think this will be, like the dominant genre. Mm. Like there's some... There's some movies like this today where it's like, you already mentioned some like the Ghibli movies. These are pretty much just nice. Like mm-hmm. they're just nice to look at. There's barely any plot. The characters don't match that much. And it's just, wouldn't it be nice if the world looked like this and the world was mm-hmm. like this? But I think there should be a name for that type of genre. Okay, perhaps it's a question for next week. Yeah. Because I don't sure. think I can come up with it on the spot. There are the, um, the idols, I-D-Y-L-L. S, okay. like idyllic, that's where that comes from, mm-hmm. um, which were basically just pastoral poems romanticizing kind of everyday life. Mm-hmm. They were like mostly ancient. Theocritus wrote some, Virgil wrote some, which are really famous. And like they persisted a little bit into um, Renaissance times and I think was like one of the things that spurred that movement and also like romanticism which is another genre another use of the word which we haven't talked about like the 19th century <laughs> uh paintings yeah but idols i don't know it yeah doesn't sound that good no, next week we can come up with something. something better yeah yeah one thing i was thinking about um with romanticism in the solo scene 
is another part of our motto, surprise, surprise. And it's like things will be more tactile in the storytelling. Because I feel like right now when we watch a movie that's romantic in the pastoral sense, it's like visually, as you were saying, and maybe even the sounds are nice. You like the nature sounds, but it doesn't bring you into all five senses and all dimensions of your being yeah. like it just appeals to the body or to the like the relational part of us but it doesn't um apply to our spirit or to our like soul <laughs> it's just like just we'll usually try and pull up the heartstrings or pull up some kind of nostalgia within us but i think true like a really great romance would make you feel like you're there and like have spiritual significance and yeah. also like intellectual significance in a way that romance usually avoids mm. if that makes sense what's annoying to me is that those that tactility is really popular when it's present like i think mm. about hogwarts which is a prime example for so many people want to live there like that's the modern idol basically mm -hmm. i-d-y-l-l yeah um and it's because of the quills and the parchment and the sounds of the crackling fire and the tree outside shaking its snow and the wind as they fly through the air on their brooms. Mm -hmm. And like, it's because I, I think like a big part of it is people recognize that we're missing all those things mm -hmm. from today where it's like the paper's all bleached, the, you know, the pens, just once they're done, you throw them out mm -hmm. and no owls anywhere to be seen. There's not an owl. I haven't seen an owl in Instead of months. traveling by broom or through a fireplace, we just shut ourselves in a little chamber car and like, Kind of of do like this it's not the chamber of secrets kind of like uh, steer the wheel like this and you're not allowed to move basically for an hour mm -hmm. on end um yeah what's annoying is, is that that tactility when it's present people really uh, like feel it. that subconscious pull mm -hmm. towards it yeah and the other side of that coin is i think the soul sites will be trained not trained but they'll be conditioned to engaging more of their senses when consuming media and stories and consuming the world like experiencing the world because right now you go to a movie and perhaps you're watching harry potter and it's like you don't realize why you're so drawn to it but i mm. feel like in the soul scene you can watch something in two dimensions there's never going to be smell-o-vision there might not be smell-o-vision or like your seats won't be vibrating or whatever but you'll be able to connect to the dots of oh i like that because yeah. of these different senses other than just the visuals. Right. Because that's kind of the issue with the modern internet aesthetics is people just are obsessed with the visuals of dark academia or cottagecore and they don't realize why they're so drawn to it because of the... The doing. The dimensions and the doing and like what you can actually bring into your own practice and your own mm. daily life. And I think the soul sites will be a bit more attuned to that. Imagination, in other words. Yeah. We should talk about that next week. Um, because one of my favorite episodes of SpongeBob is when he is in the box and he's imagining, like you, you hear from outside the box, like we're kind of following Squidward through the episodes. We have his POV. It's like, oh, he's a race car. And so you mm -hmm. can hear like the NASCAR noises and I think there's like a gun, gunfight and mm -hmm. things like this. Um, and we're like, what, how is that going on in, in the box? There's, there's nothing really going on there, but <laughs> it just shows the blast that SpongeBob and Patrick. I think he's I also think there. Patrick gets in on uh, the having so much because their imagination is so strong. And I do mm. wonder if it's not like an original thought, but the more we are shown repeatedly, we went from books to movies to video games, and then we're going to be surrounded in all senses with VR, with headphones on. The more we're shown, the more we're immersed, the less our imagination um, becomes mm. 
necessary. tuned and necessary. So we should talk about next week how to improve, how to grow one's imagination. Ooh, that's a good question. How to grow your imagination. Lovely. So speaking of the dimensions of romance, this organism of the week, there are two options. It could have either been the rose or obviously the seahorse. I chose the rose because it's simple. But I like really was like trying to make some kind of abstract choice. But then I was like, no, we're going with the simple choice. The seahorse because of its like self relationship. They make for life, yeah. I think, and they have they're very. I but they know. switch between male and female. They do. Like that. Um, but I just think that they're a very romantic creature. And this is the rose, the picture. Lovely brown stem, mm-hmm. single leaf, and a red, curly looking flower on top. It's, yeah, it is actually called a flower, and they have petals, <laughs> and they have a, a woody stem thorns. with thorns. I was very set on picking a rose to bring in for the organism. Whoa. And then I was about to do it, but then I was like, I'm going to have to sacrifice my hands because they're so thorny. That would have been the first time ever in Organism of the Week. Yeah. Had she made an appearance. Yeah, so I didn't do that because I didn't want to be prickled. But anyway, the rose. What do we know about the rose? It's the U.S. national flower, which I didn't realize. Okay. There are over 300 species, and they're pretty much always in a shrub, but sometimes they're in like a vine, a climbing plant. Yes, yes. You know probably more about them than I do. And they're one of the oldest flowers, and they also are mostly native to Asia. But there's some species in Europe, North America, and Northwest Africa. I like roses. They're very water-intensive because they often are demanded Mm year-round, especially at a certain holiday. But so they're always, like, forced to grow in these places that are known for rose production. What holiday is that? Halloween? Valentine's Day. Oh, right, yeah. Um, Thought people were dressing up as roses. Yeah, so it's like, we can't meet the demand of roses with, like, just the natural amount that they grow. So they're constantly being grown in greenhouses, which are energy intensive. Have you ever seen a white rose? I have. I don't think I ever have. Really? I don't think so. Hmm, we'll have to get on that. I've seen white wild roses. You've definitely seen those. I wouldn't have noticed, though. Yeah. I need to be um, told. Something else I didn't realize, because normally when we see the red roses, there's a lot of petals, but the average rose only has five petals, like just a cartoon daisy, basically, is what the average rose is like. And yeah, I like them. They're scent, they're useful, and they're romantic. Hmm. Yes. You think they're the most romantic, like, object? Would you like if I got you, what do they, what do you do? You get them one rose, a bunch of roses, a shrub? Depends on where you are. The shrub. Depends on nice. how much money you have. <laughs> yeah. No, I know in some places it's like a dozen would be offensive or like one would be offensive. And some, offensive? Why? Because it's like, you know how flowers, like you'd give someone like a, a tulip if you hate them. or a, Oh, yes. So it's, it's like that, okay. the symbology. Um, and then some places they're associated with funerals and obviously some places with maybe I'll just, and weddings. Maybe I'll just get you some of the rose hip juice. Okay, sounds good. Or extract to <laughs> like avoid any potential controversies. Then I think you're trying to say something about my like complexion. Um, romance in the solar scene. I originally was like, okay, romance in the solar scene. What will that look like? So now we're moving on. We should say like now we're moving on to <laughs> romance as in love, as in we're giving roses to each other out of romantic yes. attraction. I literally was like, oh, I'm going to be so smart when I was taking my notes and I had two headings. And I put romance in the solar scene. The kid and the other one will be like romance in the solar scene. 
Because in your head, they're just No, I, I actually wrote exactly that on my paper. Yeah, and then I wrote it again. I was like, that's just the same thing. But I put a little heart next to one of them. Okay, so romantic love. And I learned about something new this week. And it was about Plato's Ladder of Love. Do you know about this? No. No, neither did I. So in his symposium, which is a book or thought experiment of, okay, there's a bunch of these philosophers around a table and they're having a conversation and the conversation goes towards each person telling what love is. And then when Plato, it's his turn to speak, it is, he says, it's like a ladder. And to me, I, when you think about love, you think probably the top rung of the ladder would be like romantic love. It's what we all strive for. Yeah, but I wouldn't think that's what Plato thinks. Well, it's not. No. He thinks that is the bottom yeah. rung. He's like the instinctual, the lustful, the physical attraction mm -hmm. to another person or object or what have you is the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> and then you climb up into, oh, there's beauty in everything. That's the second rung. I can see beauty in all people and all things. And then in the middle, it's platonic love. It's love without the... Like love without eyes, just like loving someone, caring for them, and that type of love. And then the fourth rung is the love of fine ideas, activities, institutions, the love of democracy, perhaps, if you were him. And then the top one is agape love, spiritual enlightenment, love of God, realizing that he loves you and you love him, or perhaps it's not God, the love of Hmm. just the fact that you're alive yeah. and it goes like that and the reason that I bring this up is because I was like in the solo scene I think there'll be lots of romance but now it's like every single movie even if it's a action movie there's like a romantic plot and like a bottom of the barrel bottom of the barrel is <laughs> the bottom of the ladder type of love and like this is always unnecessary yeah that was one of my notes which is that <laughs> I don't know why it's always so so extraneously added to John Wick. Yeah. John Wick has a love interest. It's like, why? It doesn't, mm -hmm. doesn't benefit anybody. Yeah, because my thought was in the soul scene there'll be more romantic movies. Then I'm like, every movie now is romantic, but it's not the way it will be in the soul scene. I think in the soul scene it will be more variation in like the type of love. It could be a friendship, a family, a spiritual story, but not always trying to incorporate some kind of romantic romantic yeah like oh they met and they fell in love and then it's like but he's a doctor he's john wick like we don't yeah we don't need to see that that might have actually um done something towards the the distance that we feel between all e each other socially now i'm not like it wasn't just because of stories but mm -hmm. maybe the fact that stories are either like the love shown in stories in movies, let's say, is just romance or nothing. Mm -hmm. Because it's rarely about a mother and son, a brother and sister, mm -hmm. two sisters, a mother and her daughter, you know, yeah. like two college friends or something. Like mm -hmm. it's very rarely about friendship or familial love or anything like that. Like it's mm -hmm. almost always if there's if it's about people, it will be a romantic love story. Mm -hmm. And maybe that has done something to the fact that um like that's how we contextualize everything these days one of my least favorite like additions to the storytelling to the, just like the tropes around us lexicon over the last few years has been romance mm. it's like that's just called friendship why yeah. do we have to contextualize it as if they were like 
love interests. Mm-hmm. It's just called. It used to just be called friendship, <laughs> yeah. but now we have to come up with some like word for it that's informed by the only way that we know how to talk about love now mm-hmm. or narrativize it anyway. Yeah, that's interesting. I was reading a bunch of not stories, a bunch of articles about what rom-coms and what romance novels and all of that jazz has done to us. And do you think it's a good or a bad What do, what do you mean? Romance? Rom-coms? Rom-coms, those romance novels, just like... Those romance novels. Walmart? The Walmart ones, yeah. Well, I don't think we would talk about those in this, uh, <laughs> in this podcast because it maybe goes a little bit outside the realms of what we're comfortable talking about, even in the topic of romance. But in terms of rom-coms and something else I identified was um, even more so than the movies, the TV shows that are all Mm -hmm. about following a cast of characters like Friends, whenever Mm -hmm. it was all about he's got a new boyfriend and what's going on with them, Um, following a cast of characters or even one character through their love interests, usually many um, in their 20s or 30s or teens or whatever, is that it's weird how intimately people like to follow those things. I don't think Mm -hmm. it's good. I don't think it does us any good, especially when it's like from a young age. I don't know why there's so much middle school, elementary school, high school shows that, you know what I mean? Show like Mm -hmm. the the dating landscape for teens, tweens and children as Mm -hmm. if they were all adults. I find that especially bizarre. But in general, I think like that's not good. We do it not only in the TV shows, but also in the actual actors. We care about Brad Pitt's new wife or, you know, all that celebrity drama. There's the stuff that falls kind of in between real life and the TV shows like the Kardashians also. Mm-hmm. It's like, why, what is, why do we, yeah. that, it's not solo scene. It's not solo scene and it's also not good for people because in an interview that was done with just a group of people and those people who really liked rom-coms, they seemed to report much lower levels of good communication with their partners or with their even friends and family Hmm. because in films we're often shown a very romanticized version of things and it's like in a lot of these films it's like if they're the one they'll get me like they won't have to work towards it and they're never shown like working on relationships but in practice in like the psychology study of this as well it's like you're not going to have a healthy relationship if you're not communicating, no matter how meant for each other and how serendipitous your meeting is. It's like you need to communicate. But because in so many films these days, we're shown people not even having to communicate. It's like, oh, they read my mind. It's like they always know what's going on. So yeah. So in the solo scene, I picture the films will be when there is a romantic partnership in a film, like two people or yeah, like a love a love story, that it will be a bit more instructional in like how we actually want the relationships to pan out in the real world. Yeah, instructional, that's a cool idea. Yeah, and informed by psychology. And they don't have to all be like metaphysical, trying to like shape everyone into the exact same mold because that wouldn't be good. But it's like actually being a little bit more realistic, but not in a sense In a that, positive way. In a positive way, yeah. Because anything, anytime you hear like, oh, it's a realistic love story. It's them falling apart. It means, yeah, it's always yeah. about destruction and way too much drama, cheating, affairs, um, someone's hiding a bunch of money from the other, yeah. whatever. Like, uh, and that, I think that's weird. And I know like people are 
gray in real life and nothing's ever as easy as it is in the Disney films or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I also think that that can affect real life where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, look at this TV show, look at uh, Degrassi or whatever. This is how people have to act in in uh, romances, mm-hmm. in in um, in relationships. Yeah, and in relationships, everything feels very dramatic. Like it makes sense that that's why it often is the way it goes. It's like because yeah. when you're in love with someone, it's like everything feels like the end of the world, no matter what it is. It's like it makes sense, but we need to try and almost discourage that in people's expectations of relationships. I think this is becoming a marriage advice podcast or a dating <laughs> advice podcast. Um, What's your favorite romance? story you don't know or you just want me to tell the people yeah i don't know yeah call me by your name is my favorite romance story because i mean i've watched that probably 10 times and it just still makes me cry in different ways now but still it's just it's very realistic from what i've experienced of like falling in love and it just makes me feel warm and cozy and feel like i'm back in the early days of when i knew aaron you know what my favorite romance is? What's your favorite romance? I'm going to go for the one from the Hobbit movies. Stop. <laughs> remember the dwarf and mm. the elf? Yes. Those are the names I'm going to call them because I don't remember their names. Okay. I just think that's a really nice... I'm joking. Really? I really hate that one. I thought it was, a, it was a good example of like an extraneous... It's just uh, why. Yeah. Love story that's just tacked on. Mm. No one cares about it. We don't remember the dwarf's name. We don't remember yeah. the elf's name. We know <laughs> that... I think he was injured for a while. Hmm. Yeah. He's in prison. Ooh, another one of my favorites is from The Wind Rises. I always get, no, not The Wind Rises. Well, all the Ghibli romances really just make me smile. Yeah. But the one, you know, what, the one with Country Roads. What's that movie called? Whisper of the Heart. Whisper of the Heart. Oh, that final scene. And he's just like, will you marry me? And it just makes me so happy. And I love it so much. Oh, my. Yeah, I think there's <laughs> there's a way to idealize things without... Um, reducing them without making them mm-hmm. seem silly. I mean, I, I think personally, there's like in the solo scene with romance stories, there will still be a, a prominent place even for the archetypes of the soulmate, the meet cute, mm-hmm. things like this, the big dramatic proposal. Like, I think that's nice. And that, that simple kind of idealized purity, um, just the, the smiliness of it. I feel mm-hmm. like that's missing from a lot of romances today. They're so cynical. Um, while also retaining what you talked about, like there can be a sense of realism and instructional, like these things can coexist. Mm -hmm. It kind of gets my goat a little bit. I don't know why I said that when people (laughs) like criticize the, the 2d Disney animated fairy tale princess movies Mm -hmm. because the romances are so silly, um, and unrealistic. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, yeah, of course it's unrealistic. That's fiction. It's fiction. That's, it's not like real life. That's why people like it. Wouldn't it be mm-hmm. nice? There's that phrase coming out again. Of like, yeah. well, wouldn't it be nice if it was like this? Yeah. I had, for the solo sites watching films, because it's like we're talking a lot about the films or the actual stories themselves, but for the people consuming it, I think they'll be a bit more trained to not always have to see themselves in romance yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. Because right now it's like, well, I'm not like, I'm not like them. I'm not a princess. I'm not right. like... doesn't matter. It's just like, you can learn from it or just enjoy it. Call me by your name. You're quite different. I'm not a man. <laughs> I'm also not Elio, although that would be the dream, wouldn't it? Just playing your guitar all day in your vineyard. It's going to be me soon. So how I started this section about the different types of love, I was thinking in the solo scene, that'll just be a more explicit, like having the language to articulate those types of love. Because right now I feel like there's almost a, we're like stuck in a certain point. 
And it's like, oh, sometimes you'll like have a moment of like spiritual enlightenment or a relationship with a friend that's like, oh, this is like true love. Like this is platonic true love. But I feel like we'll almost have the intellectual and emotional intelligence to articulate these different feelings and also like know when they're going on mm. so that we don't end up being like confused and be like, well, am I in love with them? It's like, you can be like, cause you can love your family and you can love, but like we'll have the knowledge to actually make that happen. And I think it'll often come from the media because that's how we learn these things. It's hard to learn them from a book cause you can read a book about the theory of love and it's like, yeah. you're not gonna. Oh, you mean a nonfiction book? Yeah. Yeah, I don't like this. So it's like, I think this intelligence will come from stories and that's kind of what it's all about nice wrapping up do you have any uh like final statements or like um <laughs> a wish for the people listening for the week i hope you find love <laughs> because i'm always grateful that i have i'm still looking my wish for the people is um something that i iterated on field notes a few weeks ago which is that because i'm i'm kind of a mediocre poet but i'm always trying to write poetry and I, I feel proud of it sometimes when it's good and when I feel like I have described something in a way that doesn't do it a disservice because mm. um, I like writing poems about nice things because that will like secondhand make my poems kind of nice. But and when you read really great um, poems from the romantics or older and you're like, this is unattainably good um, in how it touches upon the human condition and tells me things about myself and the world that I didn't know that I didn't even know um, is that you shouldn't even try to just be able to like, I wish I could write like them, play guitar like them, sing like them, write lyrics like them. We should try and feel like them. Like that should be the goal to try and feel mm -hmm. as deeply and as, Ooh. and as let's say beautifully as um, the poets do. Yeah. That's really wonderful. So thank you all for listening. We'll see you on an episode soon.